The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. So we've had some really great guests already this season on the podcast. Shout out to Bradley. Shout out to Bailey for joining the pod. But the guy I have today may have been the first person I thought of when I got the opportunity to host this show. I can't say I remember exactly how I came across his account on Twitter. I'm at Diggs Pitcher. Um, But I did find him and I started following his post. And this scoring metric or score system that he has created and for me, it's been a really good indicator at the minor league level of some guys that I probably would have missed or not known much about. So I, I started consulting uh, as far as prospects are concerned um, that I might want to add or even trade for. So with that being said, I wanted to have its creator, Kyle Goings, on to talk about his system digs and his newer scoring system hits for batters. Uh, Kyle wrote a Giants blog called Cove Chatter from 2013 to 2019. Uh, in 2019 is when Kyle actually created Diggs as a game score for MLB starting pitchers, and it's since been expanded to include the minor leagues as well as college. Thanks for joining on the farm, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me, Lamar. Uh, I got to say, as somebody who's really fascinated, overwhelmed, probably, uh, oh gosh, OCD with pitching analysis, uh, there's no cooler site out there to me than Pitcher List. So when you told me that you were coming on to host a pod with Pitcher List, I, I was really excited. So congrats on on your gig here. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Really, really appreciate that. I know Nick is going to love hearing that because Nick loves uh, everything, everything and everyone Pitcher related. First and foremost, I wanted you to do the honors of explaining exactly what digs is to our audience in case there are people not in the know because I know you kind of have an explainer up on the site and I could have copied and pasted that but I feel like that would have done a poor job of really explaining what it is where it came from so that's that's where I wanted to really jump off the conversation sure and uh and as a caveat I'm gonna say man I tinker with stuff almost every day (laughs) So, so that uh that explanation on the website I gotta update that thing man so Diggs is uh, it stands for Defense Independent Game Score, and but I like I just like Diggs, and and the truth is that the name Defense Independent has kind of become eh, a 
little bit of a stretch. And, and it was at, at the beginning as well. Uh, and that's because I, I include innings pitched as one of the core components. So there's always going to be some defense involved when you're talking about pitchers recording out. So I just like to use digs now, but it does stand for defense independent game score. Uh, score assigned for starting pitchers or multi-inning, bulk inning type. It's a zero to 100 and scores can drop below zero from time to time over 100. I know Jacob deGrom last year had a couple of starts where he was over 100, I think. I think his best start of the year was like 115 with my updated formula. So core components of digs, uh, we use, I use Ings pitch, hits allowed, home runs, hit by pitch, walks and strikeouts, and that's across the board. So that's major leagues, minor leagues, uh, college, division one. For majors, I use barrels, swinging strikes, strikes looking, strikes foul. And I, I, it's like a two-tiered system where I, I look at the results that happened. You know, the home runs allowed, the walks, the strikeouts. And then on the flip side, for those majors, I'm using those barrels and the strikeout characteristics, swinging strikes, all that kind of stuff to kind of estimate like an expected digs score. So I put those two together, and that's where digs comes from. And it's improved over the years. So, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that by saying, by asking this question, what would you say Diggs is not designed to, to predict or evaluate? Because I know a lot of times, and, and I'm I'm going to tell on myself, I'm definitely one of those people, you see a new metric or a new scoring uh, sort of system, and you start applying it in ways that maybe it's not actually meant to be applied. So you start seeing some, some things that aren't there or start missing on some things that you if you evaluated it more precisely, you wouldn't have missed one. So what would you say it's it's good to be used or good to be applied to? And what are some areas maybe where you, you're thinking Diggs really isn't meant to touch that space? Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate this question, making me making me work a little harder with the metric and think about, you know, what isn't it? And that when you're so invested in something, you know all the things that it is, but sometimes to think about what it's not. Um, Really, digs is based on a lot of adjustments. So something I'm proud of is at the major league level, it adjusts for park, it adjusts for league, it adjusts for year. And as far as I know, it's the only game score out there that adjusts for those things. In the minors, it adjusts for age and level. And in college, it adjusts for strength of conference. So I'd like to say that what you, what you can look for in a dig score is if, if a pitcher is really standing out on a prospect list in his dig score um, near the top of the list, He's doing things well, or he's really young and, and he's getting an adjustment there, um, or he's pitching in a, in a really tough conference. So I think it, if you're looking for pitchers that are likely to be drafted on a college list, I think those pitchers stand out with digs. Um, I've, I've really worked to make those minor league lists really highlight the, those top prospects. And then you see those guys who are ranked up there with top, top prospects and you start going, well, why aren't they getting the love? So on the flip side, your question what is it not? Um, I'm totally in over my head as far as advanced pitch data goes, but that seems to be what's in these days. People are, they want to know the movement on a pitch. They want to know sequencing. They want to know arm angle. I mean, that's that's like the, the craze right now. And that's what what's really driving a lot of new metrics. And Diggs is totally not that. <laughs> Diggs is very, very reliant on outcomes. Um, and, and as far as relying on those outcomes, I really do feel like it does a great job highlighting pitchers who organizations are targeting 
Um, and maybe they're targeting them for different reasons, but Diggs brings them out for the outcomes and for the adjustment. So what I'm hearing from, from that, and I think it's really important for the audience to, to think about this, just we always talk about process a lot when we talk about prospecting and dynasty baseball, is it's good to have a results-driven system or game score, some sort of metric that says, hey, it may, we may not dig into the how, but this is giving you the what at the end of the day. So you still know, and like you said, um, and we're going to get into some of these names uh, later on in the conversation, but there are some guys where you look and it's like, okay, everything is right here, but I don't see this person's name at, on, on a list at all. Now, that to me is a really good um, time when you have a situation like that where you're seeing some great outcomes or indicators of some great outcomes to then do the research into the process piece to say, okay, is there something? Is this guy in a um, really hitter-friendly park? And even though um, digs or hits uh, for the batters might adjust for it, maybe there's still something there that um, we just haven't gotten to, especially at the minor level where a lot of that data is really hard to come by. A lot of it um, is proprietary or just kind of locked away, so it's kind of hard to find a lot of that stuff just in general. It's just really good to say, okay, I got player X. The dig score is really high or the hit score is really high. I haven't heard of this person. I didn't know that this person was doing this well. Let me dig into why are they not in a, a Fangraphs top 100? Or why are they not in a Baseball America or Perspectives top 100, top 150 list? Why are they a little bit lower down? And sometimes there's a good reason. Sometimes you find out like, oh, okay, there's question marks about their range. So defensively, they're kind of maybe without a position. Or for a pitcher, maybe there's question marks about the durability. So they're getting good outcomes. But, you know, scouts and evaluators are looking – over the long term and saying maybe this guy's not going to be able to hold up as a starter and maybe they are going to end up getting moved into more of a relief position which changes their value but you have to know the outcomes first which is why i really enjoy uh your system and enjoy looking at digs and looking at hits because you have to know the outcomes first and especially with college and minor league it's so profuse it's so many different names it's really hard to keep on track and if you're just following those top 100 guys um especially if you're in a pretty decent sized dynasty league those guys are gone so like maybe you can make a deal for them fine but if you're trying to find those hidden gems you're not finding them in the top 100 that's a great point those guys have been known for a while so they're going to be you know you're not going to happen across um an Adley Rushman right you're not going to happen across even Anthony Volpe who like shot up the list he was still pretty well known his rise um is what surprised people but he was still pretty well known coming um into his professional season so even those guys it's going to be harder to stumble across, but the MJ Melendez's, right? The Jose Miranda's, those are the guys, Stephen Kwan's, those are the guys that a system like Diggs and Hits did a really good job for me of pointing out to say like, oh, this guy's having an incredible year and he's not showing up in any midseason rankings. Uh, and then you see at the end of the year, when people get a chance to reevaluate and re, uh, re-run through data, have different conversations. Now you see those guys starting to pop up as, oh, yeah, this guy is pretty good. Oh, yeah, this guy might have a chance. It's really cool to hear you say that because guys like Jose Miranda and Stephen Kwan, hits and digs, those are the only reasons that I know about those guys. <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, he's not He's not only, what, what was it? You're not only uh, the president, you're the client as well, right? Absolutely. Um. So, so with that, I also want to get into hits. So I know I've been kind of talk interchanging digs and hits digs is pitcher specific hits is what you created for position players the one question that i have first and foremost and this is like a more logistical thing it's pitcher digs is it hitter hits is it batter hits is it 
player gets that's, a good, that's a good question it's funny you know when you don't talk about it out loud that very often hey, we got to settle this right, right now yeah i was looking at it i'm like but how do you say it though like how, how do you refer to it we'll just say hits you know i yeah i just say hits it is funny though because hits is a stat all on its own but you know hits usually in the box score is just an h for I, you know, I try to do the uppercase H-I-T-S. And my funny, my goofy name for it is Hitter Independent Talent Score. But that was just an excuse to be able to say right. hits. Right. So let's get into it. So you, you had digs. You, you've been churning that out for a bit. And I was actually, I remember, um, I, I don't remember the exact month, but I remember when you announced like, hey, I'm, I'm jumping into the player position pool and now I have this, um, this game score for them as well. What made you? shift or include not not even really shift but also include position players and and not just stay with pitchers independent you know i had been tracking i guess would be the right word tracking starting pitching for many years and going back to probably 2014 2015 using the game score methods that were already available and you know and i had kind of once i created digs had refined that and you know really felt like i made a lot of improvements with it started to understand it better but in the in the grand scheme of things, I know this is a fantasy baseball and minor league podcast. And when you start to think about fantasy pitching, pitchers are only half the battle and and people prefer hitters anyway, most of the time. So I thought I was kind of um, limiting myself a little bit. And as you know, I took a couple of years off from fantasy baseball and wanted to get back into it this year. And I, and I didn't have a very good grasp of position player prospects. And I think that's because I spent so much time looking at pitching. So that just what started, I guess, is I'd always had this goal of of making a system for relief pitchers, and the formula just didn't work out. It didn't work out the way that it did for starting pitchers, and so I, I started working with percentiles, kind of created a rating system, and I thought, you know what, maybe I could do something similar with hitters, uh, because from a game to game basis, I mean, a, a hitter might have a a great game one day where he hits a home run and has a triple or you know a really big game, and then. He goes two or three games where he doesn't get a hit. And so the, it's not like pitching where, you know, Jacob DeGrom's going to come out or a, a Shane Boz in the minors and they're going to have a great score every time out. You know, hitters fluctuate so much. So I didn't think that the formula was really necessarily the best way to do it for hitters. And so, I, you know, I just played around with those percentiles. And, man, I'll tell you what, it didn't take long. And I went, this list works. When you start adjusting for age and, and level, the names that were popping up were names that I, you know, saw people like you getting excited about. And so I, um, I kind of thought maybe I was on, on the right track there. And, and I'm really excited that I did because it's opened my eyes to a whole nother world of prospecting. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things that I want to get into based on what you just said. The first thing is I noticed that with digs for, for pitchers, there is again, just like the name indicates, there is a set game score, right? For each outing. I know you have each outing and then overall for the season have the individual game score hits doesn't have the set game score they have the percentiles like we talked about and we're going to get into that later as well um but it doesn't have like a set you know uh jason dominguez has a 12 you know hits score for this game this season so can you kind of talk through you you kind of were, were getting into it but can you kind of explain a little bit more about why you made that decision to not put a, a set number with hits versus the set number that you were able to, to have it turned out for pitchers. Sure. And I think the the biggest reason really it's a, I kind of go back to a comparison with looking at pitching versus looking at hitting and, and your question on what, what the digs metric is not, 
you know, if you go to a, a scouting report, you're going to get a breakdown of each of the pitchers, pitch types, his control. And there's there's a few different things that we can compare there, but with with the numbers, I can't get into a lot of that. And with hitters, I feel like it was easier for me to go, okay, here's his line drive rate, here's his ISO power, here's his walks to strikeouts, and those are things that we can sep- I, I felt like I could separate into categories easier. So on a on a hits leaderboard you'd see his contact and where he ranks percentile wise his line drives his power um, I call it eye or discipline and then his speed rating and so I guess the the biggest reason is for like I said for pitchers you it's kind of like a fantasy baseball metric and I just wasn't able to get that formula to line up with hitters but man I'm that is a goal of mine and I've been kind of goofing around with some some data at the NCAA level and I feel like I'm getting closer to the point where I can actually go well, here's the score that the hitter earned in this game, and here's his average for the year. So for the moment, it's just a percentile system. Um, but I'd really, yeah, I'd really love to get it to be that more of that fantasy baseball, but reliable, you know, something where you can look at it and go, okay, this isn't just for fun. I can see that this is a guy who really stands out and somebody that teams are taking notice of. Yeah, absolutely. So the other question that I had uh, was regarding the leaderboard itself and, and looking at for batters looking at the actual leaderboard and, and how that um, those names start to bear out. And you start to be able to say, like, this list actually works. One other thing that I know that you have done and, and kind of have continued to do is go back. So going back through previous seasons uh, at the minor league level and kind of being able to prove out that your formula is pretty accurate because you've been able to kind of retroactively look back and say, hey, the guys that we know of as stars now were showing up as stars through these metrics when they were in the minor leagues as well. So can you kind of talk to us about what kind of spurred you on? You didn't just take, hey, modern day right now today and move forward, but you also started to go back and kind of check your work, which is the reason that I really was like, okay, this guy's really, really on to something because I've I've seen or heard people be like, yeah, I'm trying to create this metric. And I've even dabbled with it again. I'll tell myself, I've even dabbled with like, ooh, I wonder if I can create a projections, you know, leaderboard for this. But when you go back and actually check your work against what has already had been, that's when you can kind of really see the confirmation of if the formula is accurate or not. So what kind of uh, encouraged you to, to do that work with Diggs and with uh, his as well? I um, I appreciate you noticing that because I, you know, I feel like I do this because it's fun, but there's also a part of me that I, I can't turn it off, man. And, you know, I, I I'm so deep into this now that, I, I don't want to know just who was the best this year. I, I wanted to know, and this was from very early on, even with game score, I wanted to know who had the best game score ever. And, you know, and that kind of led me down the trap, the, you know, the path of, well, the original game score formula, you know, it didn't adjust for the year. And so you had 1968, you know, the year of the pitcher and the, the scores were just off the charts and it just didn't match up. And so then I found Tom Tango's game score which is po- uh, posted on Fangraphs, and you talk about a, a baseball genius, that guy. <laughs> I could spend weeks on his website, you know? And so, you know, he adjusted for year, and so it's like, okay, now I can compare those guys by year. And that's kind of what led me to Diggs, and, and once I created Diggs, then I really wanted to know, well, who had the best score ever? And and so we're talking 120 years of, you know, tracking, starting, pitching, and and so I just felt like once I got into the the prospect world, I wanted to know the same, you know, how, how did Fernando Tatis do as a prospect? How, how did uh, Vlad Jr. do as a prospect? How about Bryce Harper, Mike Trout? 
And so it's pretty cool, you know, to go back as far as I did or as far as I can through the Fangraphs leaderboards. And and like you said, that that doesn't just it's not just fun. Well, that's one of the reasons I do it. I think you have to if if you want to get credibility, you got to be honest with people. You got to be honest about your your shortcomings and and what you're trying. And and so I've just kind of found it to be enjoyable to share my process with with folks on Twitter and and to kind of go, okay, well, this is something I saw in you know, in previous data. And so it helped me to adjust. All right. So now I'm going to place more emphasis on the power of a hitter. I'm going to place more emphasis on, you know, the walk rate of a pitcher. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to ignore the, you know, the home run rate. I'm going to regress for it because it wasn't really an indicator of, of success for, you know, some of the better pitchers that, uh, that I've studied. So long story short, I think, like you said, it's informative. It, it helps you helps you come up with a more precise method for going forward, evaluating players to see what's already been done. And it's super fun. <laughs> it's super fun to go, okay, here's where a guy like Kobe Mayo is now a guy like Jordan Walker. And, and what did, um, what did Bryce Harper do in low a, or, you know, what, what did these star players do in low a that, that, that these guys are doing now? And, you know, and, and maybe, maybe this is a reason to get excited about them going forward. All right. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with Kyle so we can talk uh, about some actual specific players that were popping up and dates as well as. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, and we're back with Kyle Goings, creator of Pitcher Digs and Hits. Uh, so what I want to do next is go through uh, both systems, pick out some lesser-known players from 2021 that had some high scores or some high percentiles in the case of the position players, and also talk about some uh, slightly more familiar players that maybe had some scores that were a little bit lower than what you might expect. And just try to uh, dissect what Digs or Hits might be telling us about their performance and about those outcomes like we were talking about. So the first name that I have here is a pitcher from the Detroit Tigers organization. That is Wilmer Flores. The name obviously should be very familiar to you. Wilmer Flores is the younger brother of Giants infielder, also named Wilmer Flores. So I can't wait for that to get really confusing. <laughs> but uh, younger Wilmer, uh, his big score, his overall score for 2021 was 62.7. That put him in the 93rd percentile uh, overall. He did log uh, 53 innings pitched at the low A level. He racked up 72 Ks. What uh, do you think, again, we understand it's, it's more outgo- outcomes than process, but what do you think that is showing, Biggs is showing with these uh, with 
score when it comes to Wilmer, Florida. So I um, last night I I went back and tracked all of um, Wilmer's game scores, his individual dig scores for the low A level, and um, you know he was just really consistent. And when you sort the low A digs leaderboard, and so right now for just for 2021, I have it set as a 10 innings pitched minimum. And that was just to get more names on the leaderboard and to see who popped up in short sample. Um, Alec Manoa and and Max Meyer were in short sample at AAA, the, the two best scores in all of baseball. So that told me, okay, you know, it, it's worthwhile to see those guys that, you know, only logged a couple of starts. But when I... When I adjust for, say, 40 minimum innings pitched at low A and kind of start to get into those guys that spent some significant time there, it puts Wilmer up to 10th on the list. And so to me, that that means he's in good company. Um, one spot ahead of him is Taj Bradley, Tampa Bay, who I know is like a, a name on the rise. Number 11, right below Wilmer was DJ Hertz, Cubs, another guy on the rise. Number 12, one of my favorite pitching prospects, Daniel Espino. And so Wilmer's in good company there, man. And and I'm glad that you you brought him up. I feel like the Tigers are kind of in that in-between period with their pitchers where they had all these guys hyped up, Mize, Manning, Scooble, and, and now they're trying to get those guys developed at the major, major league level. And so their pitching depth in the minors is a little bit thinner to me. And so I think Wilmer's a guy that people don't necessarily see because they, they don't think of Detroit as, you know, pitching rich right now. So, but anyway, Diggs is... Um, Definitely that 30 plus percent K rate. Um, he, you know, he stands out there. And the other thing I think that that Diggs really likes is only one homer allowed in, in 11 starts at, at low A. So um, I did kind of compare him to the other the others in the top 10 and he had one of the highest whips. So it looks like his walks need to come down a little bit. But as far as a 20 year old in in low A, uh, really solid season. Yeah. yeah so. That is uh, Wilmer Flores, the younger. As usual, we're going to have all the names in the show notes as well, and I'll make sure to, to make a special note uh, about which Flores we're talking about so you can find them uh, in your fantasy league platform, whatever you might be using. Uh, the next player that I want to talk to you, we both, this got us both talking on Twitter to each other about, like, what's going on with this guy <laughs> and how, how did we miss him? I remember um, that. So this is uh, Tampa Bay infielder Austin Shinton. And Shinton's 2021 hits percentile puts him at 97th among all qualified hitters. So we're talking about through all the levels. Um, it, it is, I did notice it was pretty much using his high A numbers, um, uh, not the 23 games he logged at double A. And we can talk about the reasoning for that in a moment. But what I want to highlight is just kind of his path. Um, he was... Uh, on the Mariners roster, he got traded from Seattle to Tampa Bay in the Diego Castillo deal last year. And really, if you look at not just his outcomes, but his batted ball type and sort of his player profile overall, he seems to be in that Jonathan Randa, Curtis Mead, uh, corner infield sort of multi-positionality that Tampa Bay we know loves, ability to hit the ball and hit the ball hard uh, type of mode. So if you look at the if you look at video, read up on the scouting reports, the hit tool it was always top notch. It was always rated highly. Uh, he has great barrel control. He hits everything hard. I don't know about him sticking at third base. Um, it's, it's pretty good chance I think that he ends up getting shifted into uh, that first base mode. Maybe he 
walk some time in left field. I'm not not too sure about that. It seems like he, he has some limited footwork, limited range uh, overall. But I went and grabbed him. Like, right after I looked and I saw him pop up on hits, we had that conversation where I was like, what's up going on with this guy? And I remember you being like, I have no idea. I don't. I didn't even know. <laughs> and I was like, well, whatever. And I took a dark throw. I had an open spot. So in my home league, I went and grabbed him uh, as soon as I saw that percentile uh, number. And I'm just kind of waiting and seeing and seeing what he builds on. And obviously, Tampa Bay is stacked. We know that they're always talented. Um, even if he had stayed in Seattle, they're starting to get stacked as well. So I don't know where he breaks through. But he's one of those guys that if you really believe in the dynasty um, baseball idiom of talent will rise and it will find a spot, if you believe in that, he's one of those guys where it might not be a Tampa. They might put him in a trade where he goes to a third organization. But I can definitely see him popping up and being a kind of, oh, where does guy come from sort of bad. Uh, that's that's a lot of me talking, but Kyle, what, now that you got a chance to actually take a look, what are your thoughts on Austin Chip? I, I made sure that when I was doing my top 150 prospects, which I'll say right now, it's definitely a data numbers-driven list. I, I won't pretend like I, I have any visual method for really evaluating a player. I felt like when I did my Giants blog a few years back that there was a, a time when I could look at video and go, oh, you know, I, I really think this guy's going to be something special. Truthfully, these days I, I rely on the numbers and I rely on what I read in scouting reports and I don't try to be anything I'm not. But I made sure that Austin Shetton got a spot in my top 125. <laughs> um, and I think Seattle's going to be kind of bummed that they let him go. That might have been one of those ones where a second after they let him go, they went, wait a minute, was that the guy we just traded? <laughs> uh, so he came up. He came up just a couple of plate appearances short on double uh, I, I cut it off at a hundred plate appearances for full season. And so, you know, I would like to see if I went back and ran it for a 50 plate appearance minimum where he would have come up um, as far as the double a leaderboard. But I think the reason why he's underrated is because he's part of such a deep system. And, um, and anytime, I think you and I have talked about this anytime uh, an organization like the Rays grabs that extra player in a deal, that player automatically probably moves up 10 spots, <laughs> you know, just because now yep. people are recognizing and, and, and going, well, if they're targeting him, you know, we've, we've seen it before. We've never heard of the player, the race, get him all of a sudden he's in the majors and, and he's contributing. So um, I, yeah, very underrated player. And um, like you say, if, if there are concerns about, you know, sticking at third base or, or winding up more in a first base left field corner, I, I think he'll need to, improve his power but what i see you know 97th percentile line drive 93rd percentile in his what i call discipline 87th power contact you know it's funny in this you do realize the more you go through the years of data that the amount of contact a hitter makes unless he's a, a guy who really relies on it 63rd percentile for shenton and that's that's fine because he's doing damage when he does hit the ball um, so in the areas that are really important, he's like off, he's off the charts. So, you know, Tampa just does this with guys and, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but I definitely made sure to get him in my top 150. Well, I, I definitely had to include him in the list when I knew I was going to bring you on. I was like, I almost put him as the first guy to talk about just because, <laughs> um, I, again, now I, I want to be very clear to the listeners as well. I just named two other guys that Tampa Bay has, Curtis Mead, who, who really caught fire, especially going into Arizona Fall League. Jonathan Aranda, who you could kind of look on fan graphs and some other places that he's starting to get a little bit of buzz 
trying to figure out where they're going to put him. So we know Tampa Bay, again, has a lot of talent. Um, they have a good problem to have about where to put everybody. So I'm not guaranteeing anything with him. All I'm saying is a guy that can hit at that level, I'm interested in, especially if I can get him for free like I did. It costs me nothing. And if for some reason 2021 was a mirage and 2022 comes around and everything just bottoms out, it costs me nothing to let him go. So those are the types of guys that I like to highlight and I like to look for because, hey, if I can get somebody for cheap, and even if he doesn't turn into a star, but he appreciates in value and I can add into a deal to get me somebody better from a fancy standpoint, that's the type of stuff that I'm looking for. The next guy, this is a, a lower minus prospect that jumped out to me uh, fresh out of the draft. He was 2021 third round pick by Boston coming out of NC State. That is Tyler McDonough. Uh, second baseman slash outfielder. I, I saw that they've been running him out um, in center field at the minor league level. But in his first season, first pro season, um, he was at low A, puts up uh, 141 WRC plus, and in hits, that translates into him being 93rd percentile. Uh, he's in the 100th percentile for line drives. And again, if you, if you start looking at that process piece to try to figure out how he's getting his outcomes, look at the video. He's a switch hitter. Swing is smooth on both sides. He just hits the ball hard, right? It's just, it's not a whole lot to it. It's not a whole lot of extra. It's a short, compact swing on both ends. Actually, he's one of the few switch hitters that I've seen where the the mechanics are almost identical. Typically, when you see a switch hitter, they have different mechanics, different timing that they have from one side of the plate to another. If you think about, again, not making a comp, but just think about a real famous switch hitter with Chipper Jones. Right hand swing and left hand swing, completely different, right? Every, his setup, everything else. But with Tyler McDonough, it's like I said, it's almost a carbon copy. Short, compact stroke, and it gets to the ball, and, and the ball jumps. So you know what you are, you know what you aren't. <laughs> I know you're not a scout. I know you're not an evaluator. But looking at a guy that's fresh out of the draft, uh, coming from a pretty talented system at NC State, and then going to Boston, what did you see when you looked at him in his system? I'm, I'm glad that you brought him up, and here's why. Because he's a new name for me. And, uh, and it's, it's fun to get to learn about new players. And, and really, the, the great part about getting to talk about McDonough is I got to go and dig into my, uh, my newest leaderboard, which is uh, the NCAA Division I hits. And so I, I had a, a Power 5 conference leaderboard that I created when I was trying out the hits system with um, Division I. And so I went to that leaderboard, and I've got three years of college data on McDonough. And so that's, that's really cool to see how, how did his first – sample of uh, professional baseball compared to his three years in the ACC. And, you know, at 22 years old, you want to see a guy do well in, in low A. Um, and so I'm sure hits gave him a little bit of a, a knock for being just a little bit old for the level. But when you look at those percentiles, the 93rd overall, 74th percent speed, 71 power, 83 discipline, 100% line drive at low A, they line up really well with what he did in his, his junior year at, at NC State, where he was 95th percentile among all power five hitters. So that's the cool thing to me is he's got some history there and some history of power and speed. I think I saw he had double digit. I think it was 15 home runs and 13 stolen bases last year at NC State. Um, and then he comes over, uh, you know, summer, gets drafted. Then he's in low A with the Red Sox and he, he's crushing it there. So. So really interesting. Um, every year I noticed he improved his power, his eye, and his speed at the NCAA level. So um, 
I don't know much about him, but I know he's got a history. And um, so looking forward to see if he'll, if he can do that at the high level this summer. So that's how McDonough. I want to shift into some uh, of the surprises that surprise us maybe in a more, uh, I don't want to say negative sense, but some, some disconnect where we have uh, some people that we know are high, highly guarded or, or have a pretty good pedigree, but maybe their percentile or their um, digs number doesn't necessarily line up. The first guy is a guy that I know is rising super high. There's a lot of helium in the dynasty community, and that's Devison uh, De Los Santos of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, this is a guy that has just loud tools. If you see the video of him, uh, it, it's just it's light tower power. It's it's real loud. He's probably going to be a, a, in in the corner at, at third base for the Diamondbacks. But if you look at him from his standpoint, he's in the 65th percentile. So not, not awful, but definitely not as high as you may have just automatically assumed. And what surprised me the most was his line drive percentage was at 5%. And the power percentile was only at 54%. So again, a guy that's known for loud tools, hitting the ball really far and really hard, doesn't necessarily show up in the outcomes as measured by hits. So with him making so so many waves in the last four to six months and all this loud noise that we're talking about, what do we think might be the disconnect from, again, what we're seeing, that sort of eye test, to what the outcomes that are being shown through hits? So what I saw with De Los Santos, um, I think we talked a little bit about uh, with Austin Chinton that the, the cutoff for full season ball on my leaderboards is 100, play, or 100 plate appearances. Um, and the exception I make is for the rookie leagues. So I did find him. I cut I cut it off at 50 plate appearances for rookie leagues. So I think he had 95 plate appearances at the complex league last summer. And so I did find him in there. And here's what's interesting. Okay, so in the complex league, he came out at 93rd percentile, 18 years old. Um, so still still young in the complex league. But you mentioned his line drive rate at low A, 5th percentile. It was only 16th percentile in uh, Complex League. He paired that with almost top of the charts ISO power. So as far as rookie ball, the power was really standing out, um, even in a short sample. Uh, Fast track to low A. I I mean, I think he'll probably go back to low A. Um, Even with that 5th percentile line drive rate, I still had him at for low A, uh, 57. So a little bit above average for his ISO power for the level. So I feel like even at his young age, and I, I see he doesn't turn 19 until June. So he's starting the season, spending half of the season this year as 18 years old, probably a low A. I see a classic power profile player right there, uh, uh, you know, like 50th percent contact rate, 75th percent power when you um, when you average the two levels and maybe right around average, a little bit below average speed. I still think even at that age, if if he's not jumping off the charts at low A, I can still see when I look at the numbers, that profile popping up. Uh, and the other thing, so I was just looking and trying to pull up the minor league hits so I could use an example, Wander Franco. So line drive rate is interesting. And Wander is my classic example here, that line drive. Some Some elite prospects, have a really good line drive rate. Some are in the middle. Some don't have a good one. And Wander, I've got it right here. I mean, he's off the charts in almost everything. This was last year in, in AAA. He was seventh percentile line drive rate. 
So, you know, and, and I think another example of that was Ronald Acuna. Um, I had him, oh gosh, it was either double A AA or triple A, but really, really low line drive rate. So sometimes that's not necessarily an indication of power. Um, and I think it, so a guy that I really respect in the fantasy baseball community is Phil Goyette. And he's got an article where he tried to estimate, and he does estimate uh, barrel percentages for minor leaguers. And I think he showed that line drive rate is like almost opposite. If you're looking for a high expected barrel rate for prospects, then line drive kind of goes against it. So he doesn't, he didn't use that as a, as one of his um, components of the formula. So anyway, De Los Santos, I, I still think despite the low line drive, I think like you said, he's doing something right as far as hitting for power. Yeah. So it's funny because we, we say all this, um, <laughs> we gave all this praise to Austin Shinton earlier with his high, super high line drive rate, and it's like, well, but actually, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, but I think that's good because, um, and and I wanted to bring up De Los Santos uh, specifically, not because I think, oh, okay, it's oh, he must not be as good as everybody thought, but just again, understanding that uh, a exactly what we talked about at the very beginning of the conversation, outcomes versus process, they go together. It's not an either or. So how he's getting these results, we need to go back and look at what what type of swing path does he have? What are his swing mechanics? What is he trying to do with each pitch? What is his approach? And there may be something there where he may be trying to lift every single ball. So you're just not going to get a lot of line drive. So somebody who's trying to be a fly ball hitter, um, and for somebody who's that young that has that, that sort of power, that makes sense that that could be his approach. So um, I, I just think it's very important to see, and going back to the Shinton part of the conversation, for a guy that's a little bit older, a little bit more advanced um, as a hitter overall, he may be fine with just spraying the ball around, but he's not necessarily going to lift the ball. To your point about his power numbers being a little bit lower, he may not be looking to lift the ball and drive it. He may not be pull side hitting. So he might just be like, hey, I'm cool with just going the other way because I can go the other way and I can hit it hard. Again, you have to put it all together. This is one part, and I think it's an important part, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Just like looking at video or reading scouting reports isn't the end-all, be-all uh, as well. you got to put the whole thing together try to get a complete picture. So speaking of pictures, you see what I did there, picture. Oh, yeah. Anyways, um, we have a picture on here. Who his overall digs percentile uh, wasn't terrible. It was at uh, the 87th percentile, but he did go through three different levels of minor leagues last year. He ended up at AAA, and that AAA dig score was 64. And I know we were talking about um, having some different cutoffs, but it was the 64th percentile uh, uh, amongst all AAA pitchers. This is Washington Nationals pitcher Cade Cavalli. And again, he went through three different levels. And here's what I was seeing just looking at just pure numbers, right? He starts at high A. He has a 100 percentile dig score. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. He, he has a, a Digs percentile 100%. He has a 37% K minus walk rate, and he has a 0 0.90 whip. That's great. Love to see all that. He gets promoted to double A, uh, and we see that K minus walk drops almost in half to 19%. Whip climbs, not not terrible, but whip climbs to 1.28. That gives him a, a 66 uh, actual overall dig score. Puts him in the 97th percentile, so still not looking bad for Cavalli. But then he goes to AAA in August, 
and now we see K minus fall fall all the way to nine percent. His ERA jumps all the way up to seven point three zero, and the WHIP climbs to one point nine zero. So that ends up giving him that overall look. I, I guess there's there's not a ton to really add outside of what we kind of talked about. I guess the question that I have is, from a fantasy standpoint, with with digs or even hits, is there something to be said for um, a, a player that gets that sort of rapid promotion in one year? Right? Is there any sort of adjustment that is currently being made, or that you're thinking about making for a guy that might jump one, two, three levels um, in a year versus uh, a guy that that kind of stays exactly in, in the same space? That's a great question, and it's one that I've kind of like grappled with for a long time and how to best present a minor league leaderboard uh, because so many players change levels, you know, and I, do we average it? Do, you know, do you make adjustments for each specific level? I've tried a few different things, and uh, and I and nothing that I've actually been confident enough to, I guess, publish in my leaderboard. So for right now, I, I keep everything separated by the level, and I compare players to their own level. Um, but it is a project I'm working on trying to figure out how to account for those things. And I think, gosh, when you look at Cavalli's AAA, I think his ERA was seven plus. And so, you know, most guys, if they have a seven plus ERA are not going to end up getting an above average score. And to me, that shows that he still was doing some things right. And, you know, and he's, he's on the right side of the age curve. Um, I have a theory, it has nothing to do with analytics, but I have a theory on Cavalli that they should have just left him in double A. I mean, he was in his first full pro season. Uh, you know, nobody really logged any innings because there was no minor league season in 2020. And um, he was at right around 100 innings when he got the promotion to triple A. And maybe that was his, maybe that was his fatigue point, you know. Um, I still really like him, but, you know, you do like to see a player who scores a 95 to a hundred, you know, in digs at a certain level, you really want to see those guys keep those scores as they get higher. I mean, that's, that's not the norm. I mean, we, we both know a, a player that kills it at low a probably is going to do a little bit worse at high, a little bit worse at double a, a little bit worse at triple a. I mean, that's just how equivalencies work in baseball. Um, I think Cavalli comes back to triple a and <sighs> You and I, nobody knows, right? <laughs> but I think it just goes to show that sometimes we think of double A as like the ultimate level. Triple A is just like, eh, major leagues where you got to make the adjustments. Triple A is tough. You know, you're going up against a lot of lot of players with major league talent. And, uh, and I think that's going to be a hurdle for him. But I still really like him. I had him 22nd overall on my prospect list and the number sixth uh, ranked pitcher. So, I mean, he needs to lower his walk rate. But he's up there pumping 99. I, I, I think he just needs to push through it, and I and I think they were just a little bit, a little bit maybe too aggressive with him going to AAA. And, and that's something interesting, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but especially this time of year, um, we're in the midst of minor league spring training. Obviously, this is uh, uh, if you're listening to this recording, we are now post lockout as well for the major league level. So spring training will be starting up for them very soon. And those assignments, like you're talking about for minor leaguers, it will be very interesting to see uh, now that we're two years off of the canceled minor league season, where guys get shuffled to um, and and how aggressive or um, conservative teams might be with their promotions in the second year. So 
I would actually be interested, based on what, what your theory is, I would actually be interested in do they bump them back to double A? And do they look at that? of like, okay, we, we just wanted to kind of see how you perform. We saw it. Let's get you back where you're comfortable and see if you can run out another 100 innings there. And maybe not even, well, 400 innings, but, you know, another 50 innings there with those really good uh, numbers, especially strikeout numbers, before we start talking about bringing you back to AAA. So who knows? Um, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not super familiar with the national system as a whole and how they sort of respond and, and move people around, especially pitchers. But uh, I just thought it was interesting to point out the last player that we wanted to cover is a guy that is pretty well known in the fantasy community. He really kind of made his name in the 2020 major league season because he was promoted. And that is Christian Pache uh, of the Atlanta Braves. And if you remember, the, the Braves kind of made their playoff run. He was on the roster. He was kind of sort of a defensive replacement slash. He started every now and then. People were, were kind of making some. I don't know how. I don't know how serious to take some of the Andrew Jones comparisons that we made, right? Because it's like, oh, it's another young outfielder that's making his debut in the playoffs, which I was sure. Andrew Jones, stud Did, center fielder, right? Stud defensive center fielder. Uh, the hit, the hit tool really just didn't show up, and, and a lot of people were like, hey, you know, he's young, that's okay. He'll go back to the minors. Twenty twenty one would be his year. Didn't really work out. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't really uh, showing that he was knocking on the door to get back to the major leagues. When I looked at him through the, the eyes of hits, it still was kind of startling. He was in the sixty third percentile, but every category that you looked at, right? So those categories that you're breaking down about line drive, about contact, power, etc. He's under the 50th percentile in each one of them. He hit 11 home runs, so that's good. Put up a 330 OBP. That's nothing to sneeze at. But there's nothing there, at least from hits, again, looking at those outcomes, there's nothing there that suggests him getting back to that top 100 prospect status that he was at in 2019. And quite honestly, I mean, he's he's further along than Drew Waters is. We don't even want to talk about Drew Waters and, and his miserable season that he had in 2021. But I still don't see anything that would force Atlanta's hand to say, hey, we need to bring this guy back as a starter. The defense is still there. Uh, so, you know, you can always use him as a fourth outfielder, as a defensive replacement. But especially now with the additional position of having an NLDH, you would think or you would hope, hey, that's going to open up some spots for some of those um, AAA guys that might even be quad A type players. But even for Patch, like, you're not putting them as a as a DH that gives you no value there. So I, I guess I'll be honest, I don't know really what the question to you is about it. It's just something that I was kind of surprised to see that he really wasn't above average in anything. I guess the big question for Pache, and I'm, I'm going to put him in the category of with a couple other guys, um, Joey Bart. Uh, oh, there was another one that I was thinking of from, Oh, uh, so on the pitching side too, Davey Garcia 2020 I want to know these guys have to prove this year you know how big of an impact did 2020 make where they didn't have minor league games um because I everything you're saying about Pache I feel that way about Joey Bart with the Giants um you know he came up and and he got more playing time than Pache did in 2020 but you know he had a couple good games and then he just kind of lost it and just just couldn't hit and so Pache, gosh, I, I don't ref, I don't reference my major league hits leaderboard very often, but it's there, and I'm I'm proud of it. I, it's I use Statcast data. I use a lot of different things to to come up with the different components that I I don't have available at the minor league level. But 
Pache's score was a zero. I mean, you know, there was like nobody below him in his in his major league experience last year. So the the highlight was a 31st percentile speed rating, and and it was 39th percentile at um, AAA, which is odd. So to me, his overall hits rating is totally just held up by him being young for the level. So, I, I, I mean, and he was killing it in 2019. You know, he was 96th percentile in AA, 85th percentile in AAA. I guess it's one of those things that's where this is where it comes down to a player being a regular versus, a, a like you said, a 4A extra role player. And he just seems to me like one of those guys that's going to have to prove one way or the other. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's it, it all goes back to that question of 2020. How big of an impact did it make? Can these guys get back to the level they were at before that? Yeah, and I mentioned on last uh, the last podcast we were talking about post height prospects, and I, I was saying I would love to see, and I don't know how it would be done, but I would love to see a, a study or, or some sort of, even if it's kind of an oral history sort of thing of you know in a few years um, somebody kind of talking to some development coaches and some minor league managers and major league teams, and just talking about some guys that may have fallen by the wayside um, that were right on the path and, and right on target 2018, 2019, everything looked great. And in 2020, just derailed the whole thing. You hate to see it. Obviously, you don't wish for it. But it is kind of remarkable to think about what that one year did for uh, a lot of prospects and a lot of young players, even at the major league level, guys that were kind of on the cusp at the major league level that may have thrown that game off um, just a little bit. So that's Christian Pache. Uh, that's our list. That's that's everybody that we uh, came to, to break down. And again, we'll have them in the show notes for you to take a look at on your own. Uh, this is promotion time, uh, Kyle. So anything that you have to promote, I don't know if you're writing anywhere or if you have any other appearances that we can check you out at. You know, I don't write a whole lot anymore. Um, but I don't think folks know that. So I have my Twitter account, but I've got a, a Google site. I need to come up with a good name for it and get a domain name, man. But Right now, it's just bit.ly slash pitcher digs. And I've got, I just add stuff from time to time. But I mean, you can find records all the way back to 1900 for pitching. I got all kinds of fun stuff on there, minors, NCAA, major league. So I hope folks will check that out. Um, that's where I get all of my data from. And I'm constantly tweaking it. So that's other than Twitter, that's where you'll find a lot of, a lot of my custom leaderboards. And what's the handle on Twitter again? At, oh, well, now that you said. <laughs> Now you got me thinking because when we started, I think you said at Diggs Pitcher. I'm I'm double checking on it. at Diggs Pitcher. Very good. So yeah, at, at Diggs Pitcher Twitter. Yeah, at Diggs Pitcher is where you can find Kyle uh, on Twitter. Check out the website as well. I actually I was going to bust your chops about that and ask you if you were ever going to get a domain name or if you're just going to keep it as a bitly link. But it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, favorite it. That's what you can do. Just favorite it. And as for me, uh, I, we have the uh, inaugural pitcher list prospect tournament is going on right now, uh, as of today. Today is Saturday, so we are in the day three of the opening round. Had some really good um, matchups, a lot of chalk going on uh, with the high seeds prevailing, but we did have a couple of upsets. I'm curious to see what this weekend is going to bring us with some of these matchups as well. So please um, stay tuned. We're we're pumping out those um, matchups on almost daily basis so definitely keep your eye on the picture list uh twitter account as well as my own twitter account so you can take a look at who to vote for on a daily basis what the matchups are we have the live bracket 
And then I'm, what I'm also doing is coming back and breaking down the results of each matchup as well. I'm just talking about what this might tell us about the value of one prospect versus another in the fantasy community. Some were obvious, right? Julio Rodriguez is the number one overall seed. He went up against uh, Alexander Vargas uh, from New York Yankees as the number 16. We all knew how that was going to end up. So some of them kind of write themselves, but some were actually kind of interesting to see how you guys are voting. So you're in charge. Take a look. Um, as always, I want to remind you that you can find this podcast and all of our Picture List pods on the Picture List Network podcast page. You can get your day started, for instance, with First Pitch, hosted by Chad Young, Scott Chu, and James Giano. Learn everything you need to know to win your fantasy league all in 15 minutes. First Pitch and more are all available in the podcast section of Picture List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. I'm a Kyle, thanks again for being here. And you guys all have a